Welcome, baseball fans. It is time once again for the Running the Bases podcast. I'm Tucker Wells, joined as always by Coach Jordan Bounds. Coach, how you doing? Good, sir? Pretty good. Well, all right. We are launching a new podcast series today. We're calling it the State of the Franchise. This is something you and I have talked about doing for, God, maybe a year now. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I'm really excited for this. We're going to do a deep dive on a franchise in MLB that's in rebuild mode, tear down, or perhaps complete dysfunction, or maybe all three. Uh, we'll talk about the recent history, best and worst transactions of the last decade, give or take, the ballpark factors, uh, fan support, how many years until the franchise will be competitive, among many other things. So first up in our state of the franchise, the Cincinnati Reds. Coach, Major League Baseball is celebrating uh, 150 years in existence this season, and I think they're doing it rather quietly. They have the patch on all the jersey sleeves, but I haven't seen any specials otherwise. Because it's real relative. <laughs> it is really relative. But why not start this podcast series with the franchise that is, in fact, 150 years old? The Cincinnati Reds, if you believe all all of the history there as well. Well, we do know the Wright brothers were probably, you know, the first paid uh, baseball players. And uh, George Wright's team was the first professional baseball team. Right, 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 right. And you should read, uh, if I never get, if I never come home again. If I never get back. If I never get back again, that's it. You know? Which I am currently reading. Yeah. So, yes, Cincinnati, the Reds, uh, home of Mark Twain at the time of the 1860s and 70s. So... Um, but so MLB is celebrating relative 150 years. So why not start with the Reds, who are, in fact, 150 years old? So a quick snapshot of the Reds. Their last championship was in 1990. Uh, between then and now, that was the Nasty Boys team, of course. Um, Side note to that, my son got to go in their clubhouse and everything several times in spring training of that year. Really? Yeah. How did how do you swing that? Uh, with the my high school catcher's mother, uh, Mrs. Knack, uh, had connections with the Reds and stuff. And uh, as a matter of fact, he remembers Hal Morris bringing back Tupperware to Mrs. Knack and being very courteous. <laughs> nice, nice, good name drop and shout out to yeah. Hal Morris right there. Yeah. Um. Well, an incredible overall history with this franchise. That goes almost without saying. 150 years, Mark Twain, the Big Red Machine. Um, although since that championship in 1990, we had the one playoff appearance in 95. Brave swept them in the NLCS. Moved into a new ballpark in 2003, the Great American Ballpark. And then they had Ken Griffey Jr. They have those competitive years between 2010 and 2012-13, which we'll talk about a little bit more. But other than that, not much to say. Uh, I guess my first question for you, how much does the cloud of Marge shot hang over this franchise present day? I think it's finally starting to fade. Right. I mean, I think things are starting to move in the right way. But the fact that they have had four years of 90-plus losses, I think, is somewhat, at least diametrically, related to Marshot. Yeah, and, and, and you mean in, like, players' desire to come play in Cincinnati? Right, I mean, uh, there there is a, a kind of halo of smoke that kind of surrounds the whole franchise that hasn't quite lifted. 
Yeah. But it seems to be purifying now. Well, you just mentioned the last four years finishing with 90-plus losses. Between 2010 and 2013, they were legitimate contenders. They had 97 wins in 2012. You had Homer Bailey pitching two no-hitters, which got him this outlandish contract that we'll talk about later on as well. They win the division in uh, 2010-2012. They have the wild-card game in 2013 in which – Famously, Cueto drops the ball, which seems like you could almost make that the moniker of the Reds for the last right. 10 years, Cap, uh, and captured in that one moment. In 2013, they had their highest per-game average. They were averaging 30,000 fans a game uh, in a ballpark that roughly holds 43,000. Um, they are bottom eight payroll and attendance last year, payroll of about $95 million and only averaging about 20,000 fans per game. Uh, this year, though, that is up to uh, 126 million. Uh, Actually, I got 133. 133, sure. Uh, depending on which website yeah. you're looking at, I guess. So that puts them kind of mid-pack. I, you could say the Reds and Pirates are a pretty great rivalry going on right now. Every team needs a good rival. Um, there's your snapshot. So first thing. So let's start at the top. Let's rate current ownership and management. Their owner is Bob uh, Castellini. Uh, he paid $270 million for the Reds in 2006, but he's CEO of a group, another conglomerate owning a sports team. The club now is worth close to a billion dollars, according to Forbes magazine. Uh, by all accounts, Castellini, he's a passionate owner who wants to win. He's from Cincinnati, a lifelong Reds fan, and he is embracing the history in full. One of the first positives I'll talk about is that they did this huge renovation of the Reds Hall of Fame at the Grand right. American Ballpark, $5 million worth. And by all accounts, it's one of the top Hall of Fames in the country. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Given that, well, given how they've fared since 2006, how would you rate ownership? Uh, he may be a impassioned Reds fan, but they're not spending money. Uh, when you've got, uh, I, I don't... Franchise is worth a billion dollars. Right. I mean, and uh, they're getting 45000 or $45 million a year in revenue sharing and stuff. Uh, they may not be drawing now, but that's their fault. That's because they've had 44 years of 90-plus losses. Uh, Cincinnati's a good ball town, city. And uh, so the ownership... Uh, the idea of somebody like Illich coming in and just, you know, okay, we can't let him go. I'll pay the money. Uh, you know, <laughs> or we've got to have him. I'll, I'll pay the money. Or somebody like Ted Turner doing that. Or some owner that took a personal relation. This owner is not doing that. He's not. Uh, now their payroll is up to $133 million. They say they are going to keep it at that level for next year. But that's yeah, still not, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, teams set out that they're going to operate within some sort of budget. If it's an Illich or a Ted Turner saying there is no budget, or if it's, you know, the like Cleveland Indians most fav- most notably right now saying that they're only going to work within a certain budget, they put it out there and they say, this is what we're going to work with and justify as to why. That being said, they had two huge contracts that they made in this decade, one being Votto and the other being Bailey. 
that at one point was, I think, forty <laughs> percent of their entire salary. Well, yes, and I, yeah, I've thought about this a lot. There's been all sorts of criticism going to Votto, uh, and I, I was talking with uh, Justin the other day, and we were, we were saying that the uh, the Reds might have been better off getting a Murphy type uh, a player, somebody who. Uh, hit a bunch of, you know, would hit 40 home runs and stuff. Votto is, uh, you know, uh, a darling of the sabermetrics. Uh, you know, he is a a future Hall of Famer. Why can't you get a Murphy type as well? I mean, to say that just because they put this money into it. Now, now granted, the Homer Bailey contract was a complete bust. Uh, right. Uh, the, uh, but... Joey Votto is not to blame. He's somebody that comes out and plays, and maybe he doesn't hit the home runs and uh, you know have the power numbers that a lot of stars have. But uh, neither did Tony Gwynn. He did all right. Yeah, good good comparison. Who Votto admires, of course. Um, yeah, that Votto contract is an albatross, but he's delivered, and um, you know Cincinnati fans love him absolutely. They could kill him for not swinging the bat in certain key situations uh, and for some pretty god terrible base running mistakes he's made over the years. Yeah, I mean, that contract, you know, you consider as well the time that they gave it to him was coming off of four really competitive seasons that they had. You know, front office wise, so you're not a fan of the owner. What grade? No, would- no, I'm I'm not saying it's not that I'm not a fan of the owner. I don't think the owner gets a good grade for he's head of a conglomerate you know, and whose interest is making money. And so, uh, granted, they have to win a certain amount to make money. That's the, you know, prime objective of that conglomerate, just as it is the one down the street. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the Reds aren't going (laughs) to come up with revenue streams to what the Braves have done with the battery. That said, you know, the new revenue streams that he is coming up with, I applaud the the Reds Hall of Fame in particular. And we'll talk more about the ballpark in full later on. But, you know, it, by all accounts, people who cover the Reds, they say that he is a Red, he is a true Reds fan. He's not a faceless conglomerate, that he is out front and passionate about it. And I give I give respect to that. Now, the front office Let's go there for a second. So they had Walt Jockety for a long time. He really oversaw those competitive teams the early part of this decade. Um, he built the contender, but wouldn't you say he also sank the contender? Well, I, I think their biggest problem in the front office is the fact that Kevin Towers died last year uh, of cancer, and that uh that messed up their front off. I mean, he was the general manager in charge of player personnel, and uh, that hurt them as much as anything. Dick Williams appears to be a uh, an astute president. Uh, I I think if you look at the moves, you know, I thought all of this stuff that they did this year, although it looks absurd, is really going to work out in the long run. I agree. Yeah. And so, I mean, and that was more Dick Williams' idea than anybody else. Well, so, I so in terms of their front office, I mean, we, we're not. I do know that they are. Uh, prior to the last couple of years, they've been ranked among the lowest in uh, terms of embracing modern trends in baseball. You know, they. But uh, that seems to be changing. Right. Um, 
Yeah, let's talk about those 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 moves from last offseason. Uh, Dietrichs, what a great pickup from the Marlins organization. Um, uh, yeah. You know, Iglesias has played well. I think he's still hurt right now. Or Dietrich is second on their team in home runs. I mean, he's batting third and fourth, you know, most nights. Uh, Iglesias, uh, I mean, they thought they were getting a good fielder. They had no idea that, uh, that his offense would be as strong as it was. These were nice pickups for like around $2 million each. Uh, the, but they're not the, the name pickups. I mean, you know, they all those people they got in the Homer Bailey trade, you know, that's, I mean, and the idea, all, if you look at their roster, they got Rourke and Duke and Yasiel Puig and, uh, and Iglesias and uh, Scooter Jeanette and Zach, uh, I think I said Zach, Duke, uh, Alex Wood, all of these people are off the books next year. They're not there, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and you throw in a couple of other people like Hughes and Kemp, some of the people that they uh, have to fill out their bullpen who, uh, you know, they have options on, but are also gone. Uh, you could have, uh, they could read with the Kemp now being off of their payroll. That's another 50 million. And so they're saying yeah. that they're going to remain at uh, this year's salary next year. That is some, that's a certain amount of money they can invest. And we, we know that they will get to it, sure, I'm sure, later, but their farm system's in good shape. Yep, top 10 farm system right now, yep. according to MLB Pipeline. We will talk about that, of course. Um, yeah, and you're right. Dick Williams has done well in the years uh, since he took over, going back to 2016. He's now president of baseball operations, and you have Nick Crawl as the general manager. So overall, I'm giving the front office a C plus with room well, for improvement. It's, it's almost like the trade that has yet to play out. You know, we don't know right. how, uh, how good these moves are, but Dick Williams was saying he, he made all of these moves with an effort to win now per se. They are doing a lot better this year. Yeah. And, uh, to energize a fan base that had become somewhat uh, well, the, the, uh, a fan base that had been accustomed to ninety win or ninety lost seasons. I mean, uh, right? The, the uh, they're averaging twenty one thousand or so, something in that neighborhood, and it uh, looks so empty. Right. Uh, the, you know, kudos to him. He doesn't. He's going to try and turn around some of these uh, players for some chips, although. It's had terrible luck with that, well, with yeah. injuries and whatnot. Uh, but so you know, I, I I like what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, they're you know, of all the franchises we could have picked for our first one of these podcasts, the Reds really have have cured a lot of their ills from you know seasons 2014 through 2018, where they're in the basement every single year, and no one can tell if it's a rebuild or a teardown or a blow up or whatever. Right. Um. So let's talk about the worst moves of the past decade for these Cincinnati Reds. Um, you know, they've lost just about every major trade that they've made. Right. I mean, that's, you know, who do they have on their roster from Cueto, Bruce, Frazier, and Chapman? Yeah, exactly. None, no, none of them. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw the about the Chapman trade with the Yankees. Of those four prospects they got back, one retired, and the other three can't break out of... Double A, triple A. I don't think right now they have anybody on their roster from getting rid of Cueto, Bruce, Frazier, and Chapman. That's a bunch. <laughs> You've got to get something in return for these people, you know. Uh, 
Now, they've done well on small time trading people that are not big salaried people, and they've gotten uh, people like Dietrich and Iglesias back, you know, in these like minor deals. Uh, they've, uh, I mean, like Scooter Jeanette is, you know, uh, arguably their best all around player, although he hadn't played all year. Uh, and they got him off waivers. You know, Louis Castilla came uh, in through. What a revelation there. Yeah, I mean, through several, I mean, came actually by taking Dan Straley off waivers, you know, then trading uh, Straley for Louis Castilla. They've done well in these, like, small deals. The big deals, not so much. <laughs> yep, and without further ado, I think the worst move of the decade overall is the Homer Bailey contract. Oh, Would you I, agree with that? It turned out to be the worst. Yeah, and it's it's. I don't know, at that, that time. You know, uh, I now like from what I understand, he, he even refused to go to the bullpen last year. You know, I mean, and he's off uh, the team now. Yeah, well, I know. For he, those who don't know, it's he's, yeah. he was traded to the Royals. So no, he was uh, traded uh, to the Dodgers. Uh, he was traded to the Dodgers for Puig and all of those sort of people, and, and a salary dump both ways. And then the Dodgers immediately released him, and the Royals picked him up. Ah, uh, okay, right, right, uh, very good. The uh, but he was he was the main the red that was going uh, Los Angeles way that and a couple of minor leaguers uh for all of the the Puig and Alex Wood and right. Kemp and all those right, people. Right. So he refused to go to the bullpen last year though. Right, just like I'm not doing that. And he eventually just quit for the rest of the year when he. Uh, so I don't I can't say anything about his character. I don't know what's going on there, but. Uh, the Reds certainly would have been aware of this when they gave him the contract. Uh, at the time, he was pitching like he was going to be a top-of-the-rotation pitcher for some time. Right, right. I mean, he was 27 when he uh, when they gave him the contract uh, back in early 2014, and he had just come off his best year statistically in 2013. Two no-hitters to his credit. I get it. That's just if that's a lot of that's a lot of money. It didn't work out well. Not, not at all, and it became something where you the can't injuries really... and everything else. I mean, yep, yep. He he fought through injuries as well, but you know, and look, it's only five years ago. But that's a you look at where like the free agency world is right now. And well, I the mean, contracts that we're doing now, twenty eight million, uh, which is what he would have gotten, I think, this year, is a lot for a franchise like the Reds, who are only have a payroll of one hundred and thirty three million. Uh, my objection to that is that they should have a lot larger payroll. Uh, I mean, it is, you know, ownership say, looking after their bottom line. Do you consider the Reds of the last decade to have kind of dramatically wasted talent? All the prime years of Votto, he's 35 now. They had Chapman when he when nobody could well, they, they no were competitive. They were even see the ball when they still had Chapman. They were competitive. Right, right. I but, mean, and they had Cueto and uh, Bruce and uh, Frazier and all of those people at that time. They were a different team. Yeah, but do you think that that was that they they got what they could out of them, or that they wasted? They left something on the table with that kind of talent they had around. They them? didn't win. A, they didn't win the Grand Poopa, you know. But the Indians haven't since '48. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's a hard thing to do. They were competitive, and they went to playoffs. That's yeah. what you shoot for. Yeah. Well, and and 
I mean, that's <laughs> that's what anybody asks for, especially when they've been tortured for so long. And it's like it's interesting that Reds fans are doing this twice in a relatively short period of time. You know, what what did the Reds faithful have to cheer about between 1997 and 2009? Well, yeah, the uh... a new stadium and an injured Ken Griffey Jr., Right, they were uh, Barry Larkin there those years. Yeah, so, always good to see him. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, <laughs> he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. It's yeah. good to have him around. I'm sure they. I'm sure everybody went home at the end of the year and said, "We were terrible, but at least Barry Larkin was here." <laughs> Look, the Reds. <laughs> the Reds haven't had any starting pitching ever. <laughs> I mean, when the Big Red Machine was the best team in baseball, you know, name three starters off that team. Uh, uh, Deont? No. No. I'm trying to, I I went right to the 75 World Series and couldn't do it. I mean, there's Gary Nolan and Don Gullett and Jack Billingham. There were stars, but these were not, you know, the, uh, wasn't Denny Nagel? Denny Nagel. Didn't no, he start there? That's a lot Kent later. Kent Merker. That's a lot later. <laughs> I'm naming him, though. <laughs> You're naming guys in the 90s, not in the 70s. <laughs> well, yeah, your original question <laughs> was name a red starter. So. No, in, from the Big Red Machine. All right, fair. Oh, wait, uh, Tom Seaver. Well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> although we debated his relevancy at that point, but... Um, that that 2012 season that that playoffs for them you know they they went up 2-0 against San Francisco in a in a a year where MLB experimented with the format so the first two games were in San Francisco and then the last three were in Cincinnati if they just win one of those games do you think that they're in the World Series after that no i can't say that i i mean I, they had a nice little run then, but I didn't ever think of them in those years as the most powerful team around. Well, I mean, or one certainly the most powerful team in the National League. All right, well, th- all right, let's do it this way. Think of the 2012 Detroit Tigers. How would the Reds of that year stand up against the Tigers in the World Series? They wouldn't have had the pitching. So you think the Tigers win that? Usually. Yes. All right. Even though the Tigers pitching staff, vaunted as it was, got beat to crap by the, by the Giants. At the time, I wouldn't have bet against the uh, the Tigers versus the Reds. I didn't think the Reds were as good a team. Well, there you have it. So we agree that Homer Bailey, that was the worst move of the last decade, and they their, their inept record with uh, trades. Here's a fun did you know. In 2012, a certain shortstop was traded to Arizona from the Reds system. Name that shortstop. What year? 2012. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I forgot. I've Didi Gregorius. Yes, I did know that. I did yeah, know that. 2012. Didi Gregorius was in their system, traded to Arizona in a three-team deal where the Indians ended up with Trevor Bauer and Shaw. So the Indians certainly won that trade. All right. Now, what were the best moves of the last decade with these Reds? I think the best move they've made in recent years is getting rid of Billy Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they're, uh, Trammell is, you know, one of their – Taylor Trammell is who I can't wait to be matched up in the same game with Mike Yastrzemski. Uh, 
the uh, but Taylor Trammell is you know their center fielder of the future. He's going to be there soon, and uh, and they're using what's his name is going to uh, play second uh, or play third eventually. Um, their their top rookie guy uh, Nick Sensel is you know in center field right now, uh, playing out of position. He'll probably come into third next year. And why not Billy Hamilton? Couldn't get on base, you know. I mean, he sure he could go catch some fly balls, and and when he was on base, he could he steal could, some. Yeah, but. but it's a different game these days. Yeah, I think their best move was tanking and drafting Hunter Green. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think they. But the problem is, I don't think they ever tanked. Yeah, you know, that's true. Uh, Overall, that is the problem. Yeah, uh, I mean they they've had a team. Uh, you know, they, they've made several moves recently. I, I like this the whole trade of. Homer Bailey for all of those Dodgers because they're not going to get much for them. But it was it's a gamble where they could fill the team for right now. And they might be able to get a couple of uh, low-ranking uh, minor leaguers uh, to add to these guys toward the end. I mean, some you know somebody might pick up Puig. Somebody you know if Alex Wood can sh- come back and show he's got an arm left, you know, uh, they could get something for him. I mean, they, uh, and if they, you know, it didn't cost them anything that Tanner Rourke, same way, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know that, I mean, you know, he didn't come in the Dodger trade, but he's, you know, you take a flyer on Tanner Rourke. He was supposed to be top of the line in, in, in Washington. So, well, he's had, uh, his strikeouts are up, but a lot of things are down this year there. I mean, he's had a, a fairly good year, but there are a lot of signs in, uh, his uh, his ground ball percentage is way down and things of, of this nature. So, I mean, they're kind of indications both ways. But you might, you know, uh, he's going to be a free agent, so you're not going to get much. Uh, all of these guys, you're not going to get much for him, but you might get something. And in, they've kind of held uh, the fort down while you're waiting another year for all of these prospects to come to fruition. Let's talk about their farm system real quick. Um who are their most exciting prospects to you? Who are you watching out for? You already mentioned Trammell, their number one prospect. You know, Trammell by far. Well, they they have three people in Sensel, Green, and Trammell uh, that are their highest ranked prospects uh, since Jay Bruce, Homer Bailey, and Joey Votto were uh, all prospects for the Reds. So they're, they're best in quite some time. Uh, Siri seems to be, uh, I mean, they have uh, Winker and Molly, uh, who's pitching for them, is in their starting rotation now. And uh, Siri, these are people, they have several Cuban players they've signed that are right. were kind of off the charts. And one of the, what's the guy's name? Well, I have uh, uh, Vladimir Gutierrez. The guy with two A's. Uh, uh, I'd have to look it up, which I'm happy to do. He's tearing uh, cover off the ball right now. Uh, I don't know. Whoever this right, is well, is not we'll in, their top, okay. in their top 30. Yeah, he would be like, he's just started off. Before we move on, so best moves of the decade. Really high praise, though, for this Dietrich trade. And if you're going to give a gold star for uh, going to the early part of the decade, the trade for Scott Rowland. That was a great trade. Bring him over. He solidifies those teams in the early part of the decade that are competitive. He gives at a relatively low cost. I think his salary was, you know, seven million somewhere around there, and uh, veteran leadership going through, and he was an all-star. Different team then. I mean, you know, you you were Ball jockey, dea- of course. You're dealing with a team that was on top rather than a team that 
is struggling to come up. I'll tell you another move. In 2014, they traded Alfred Simon to Detroit for Crawford, uh, Jonathan Crawford, a pitcher who bombed out. He was the main guy in that, but they got Suarez in that deal uh, as well. And Simon goes on and plays one more year, and Suarez is, you know, yeah. Eugenio Suarez is one. I overlook him when thinking about exciting players on their team right now. Yeah, he is one of their two or three best players, all-around players on the field. Yeah. I mean, this team hits like they hit. <laughs> they, yeah, but they weren't at the beginning of the year. They were winning right, by pitching. Yeah. All right. And okay, here's a fun did you know. Um Brandon Phillips was acquired via trade all the way back in 2006, but that was in fact a trade. He was not drafted by them. Um you know, we didn't talk about management like the manager. Uh, too too early to tell. Yeah, too early to tell, but the Brian Price era. How will we remember the Brian Price era? That it ended once again with Riggleman taking over. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all Riggleman does. I'll forever remember Stephen A. Smith blasting him about getting in an argument with a reporter, which is happening again now with the uh, Mets. You hate to see it. I uh, know. Hate to see it with the Mets. Um, all right. Do you think, I mean, Sensel has arrived. Green is recovering from Tommy John surgery. Again, this farm system is ranked uh, number nine by MLB Pipeline. They're What's ranked the most higher impo- by ESPN. Oh, yeah? What did ESPN I think, they, uh, I think they're eighth this year. I mean, or uh, sixth this year by right. Keith Law on them. All right. Fair. I like Keith Law. I respect his opinion and his, uh, his research. Their two top-rated pitchers, uh, according to MLB, is Tony uh, Santillian. Uh, he's in double A. Say he could be a frontline starter, and they have Vladimir Gutierrez. Got him in the international draft from Cuba. Um, the Reds' rela- relationship to Cuba is pretty interesting, and in how aggressive they are in scouting and finding players in that in that area. Uh, look at Aroldis Chapman, of course. I bet they don't want people to go into that too closely. <laughs> yeah, I bet they don't either. <laughs> so we'll just leave it as a compliment. <laughs> um, given What's in their farm system now, would you just be waiting to see how it plays out? Or do they need to, I don't know, do they have to have some of these prospects land quickly and get competitive again quickly? They have depth in their farm system. It's not just all the AAA level or the AA level, the single A. It is kind of spread out. Uh, whether they have enough top line, uh, top line players to restock a team with I mean, right now they have a couple of nice pieces on the team, but uh, you know their best player is 36 years old. You know he's uh, just not going to be there when this comes to fruition. That gives them more salary and stuff. But I mean, Sonny Gray is their next biggest piece. He'll be 30 next year. I mean, he's uh, can give them some innings until they build until the hundred greens and stuff start coming up. But they have no room right now for any misses. And to think that every one of these prospects are going to hit is uh, would be miraculous. Uh, they are just that prospects. They need more. They need to uh, you know, trade the bleachers. Uh, they need to you know strip things down and get every prospect they can. Tanner Rourke is not, you know, this year was there just to hold it down. Well, if you can go get 
some draft pick for him right now, that's you know a step in the right direction. They're not going to win anything this year. They're playing better, uh, and they've got to keep doing that for a little bit because their team has been so abysmal for so long that they owe this to the fans. Uh, sound move, but right now they are obviously building for the future. And where, where, okay, so then where do you see them actually being competitive? How far down the road? Depends on other moves they make. If they are waiting just for these prospects they have right now and their draft picks, it'll be a long time. They're going to have to make other moves. Now, they obviously are going to. They have $50 million more next year to spend. Uh, the I, I don't know how much Kemp cost against them, but... Uh, about 14. I did right. look that up. I uh, think they're responsible for about 14 million in okay. this contract. All so. right. Then it is close to 50 million uh, will be freed next year. Now they'll have some holes to fill. You know, uh, one, I, I assume that they're going to want to sign Iglesias back. Uh, the, um, and they're mm-hmm. deep at outfield. And I mean, I think shortstop third base outfield, were all pretty deep in their system. So they've got, Good prospects in that oh, sure. area that they can move, but right. outfield in particular. Uh, the uh, and you know, Sensel's going to come into the infield, you know. So I mean, uh, they've got a couple of pitchers that uh, look pretty top notch, but right now they have a bullpen of veterans and a uh, the only well, uh, who, who are their their starters, uh, Castillo. Uh, is he's the only one that if the ship's sinking, that's the one that you save. (laughs) Well, I mean, they they have uh, Sonny Gray, they invested in uh, coming off his worst season ever. They were uh, able to get him on the low, exactly, low end. Great move for them, yeah. Uh, and Molly, uh, or Mall, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, uh, he's one of their younger players. Uh, I mean, you know, he's just coming up this year, so. There's some uh, youth there. Uh, Di Schiafani is, uh, has been getting knocked all over the place. Right, and, and they were excited about him right. going into this season, so that's not a good, it's not a good sign. But, we, you know, he's still young. Rourke, uh, he's gone next year. Yeah, well, so, well, I mean, what's the move to make then if you're the GM? If you're looking at all this as the GM, I mean, what's the move to make? Is it time to just, you know, go and get a meeting with a big free agent or are you starting to look around and start packaging some of your prospects already? I don't see how, no, they, they're they not in a position to uh, sell any of their prospects. They have, they don't have, they have a, a good farm system, but it's not good enough to fill the holes that they have. Now, if they are trading prospects for, other so you know top line prospects or something that may be uh, along those lines. They don't have the players, uh, top end players, to trade for other top end players. Uh, so they've just got to put in numbers. They've got to do what Houston did. You know when they first started their thing, they were they traded everybody that wasn't on Social Security uh, and could <laughs> walk. You know for whatever they could get. Yeah, just tanked and tanked and tanked. And right. I mean, it uh, ended in a World Series. So the, uh, I, I like what they did this year and made, uh, put some one-year players on to, to erase payroll uh, to make them somewhat competitive uh, this year. You know, so I, I think they're on the right track, but they've got to do a lot more of it. If you just had to guess, would you say three years' time they're competing for a wild card? 
Just a wild card. No. How about five? I'll go four. Four years. <laughs> Split the middle of that that particular question. I mean, but that's still if chips fall correctly. Right, which you never know. But, yeah. I mean, if you look at, here's a good comparison, the Braves, yeah. <laughs> right? So you think about the Braves after 20, but we had the pieces to move. We had an Andrews right, and right. Simmons that, though you and I hated that. And a Craig Kimbrell and a Justin Upton and players that were bringing something back. Losing the Chapman trade with the Yankees is, is so detrimental. You know, when you consider what the Yankees then got for him from Chicago. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, the Cueto, too. They just gave Cueto and Bruce away. Uh, Bruce is still being traded around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I... I they they have to get people back for their trades that they're making. They have done well on the low end, as we've noted. But still, if you look at this, there are only ten bra or ten reds on their twenty-five man roster today that were originally reds. They're essentially going around trading for small pieces. Yeah, I think probably the same four or five years uh, at best for when they'll be legit competing for a wild card. Now, let me ask you this. As you look at the NL Central, would it be easy if they made the right big moves in the next two years to get up in that division? No. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough division. Uh, Arguably the toughest in, in baseball. But, I mean, the power shift seems to be spread out. We got we thought it was going to be the Cubs to own for the next five years. I never thought that. Yeah. And there, uh, well, certainly because no one's there's another team uh, in the division that I will, you know. Right. I'll never count, you know, count out. Whose fans we salute for having a Stanley Cup championship now. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, we thought Pittsburgh may tank below even the Reds, but they have stayed competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, Milwaukee's good. Hell, Milwaukee is great. Yeah. We'll see if they can sustain that after Yelich becomes a free agent. But um, All right, let me see. What else did I have here? Oh, Votto. Um, about that contract. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's under contract until 2023, and then I think there's an option for 2024, at which point he'll be in his 40s um, and still making $25 million a year. You don't hear about this much in baseball, at least I don't. Would they restructure his contract? Do you think it's possible that he would, would do them a solid and restructure his contract to deferred payments and have more of that money available? Perhaps. I, I don't know. I mean, he, uh, Votto has always had kind of an... Uh, a different way of looking at things. He is left-handed. Uh, the I, uh, you know, Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, not talked about that. Uh, Albert Pujols is still getting paid by the Cardinals. Right. And and if you if you if you squinted your eyes, he looked like he was still employed by them over the weekend. Yeah, that's true. Uh, past series. Um, at the time of this recording, um, the uh, and also uh, what's a uh, Scherzer right? Like, how long are the Nationals going to be paying Scherzer? Yeah, um, a lot of that was deferred too. Yeah, but that said, that seems like an, a legit move that they could make sure. to open up for uh, free agents. So, all right, they're going to have to have free agents want to come to Cincinnati. That's part of the problem. If until they want to come there, you're going to have to overpay for them. And there aren't a whole lot of free agents that are going to go like, yeah, I want to go play in Cincinnati right now. <laughs> I mean, nothing against Cincinnati, but you know, they're 
last five years, one of the worst teams in baseball. And right, uh, there people don't fill the ballpark. They don't. Uh, Cincinnati doesn't have a great nightlife, you know, that's going to attract certain well, people. Well, let's go right there. Let's talk full on the ballpark, the game day atmosphere, and the fan support. R- rate the current fan support versus potential fan support. Their potential is fine. Cincinnati is a good baseball town, period. Uh, there are enough people that live across the river uh, that support the Reds as much as any other team. And they have proven over and over again that they can draw. That's never really been a problem in Cincinnati. Right. It's just they haven't drawn the last four years because they've been awful. Yeah. And the ticket prices are incredibly reasonable. I mean, they have sections of seats that are $5. Right. I mean, uh, they they don't draw because the team is bad. That's the bottom line. Now they and they have done. They've made all sorts of. Uh, you were talking about the uh, their Hall of Fame, which is one of the better Hall of Fames uh, in ballparks around. That new uh, rooftop patio thing that they have. They've done several things that have uh, improved the ballpark. I mean, and this this could be where the owner you're, you're mentioning has is a fan. I mean, they have made the the. The fans, experience, yeah. Uh, yeah, the fans experience a more of a positive. Um, now, you know, they're doing what they can there, but they've got to win, period. Uh, they can draw enough people. Yeah. Well, and honestly, they, you know, you're, <laughs> you're uh, poo-pooing on the Cincinnati nightlife, but they do have uh, a robust district around the ballpark. There is nightlife there. Right. There are restaurants. There are you know, chic franchises that are in the immediate area around the ballpark. I have never been. I, I, by all accounts, I don't think you have either. Not in a very long time. So where would you rate the great American ballpark on ballparks to visit for you personally? Like, where does it fall? It's not on the list. Period. I'm in. No. Wow. All right. I mean, you know, if I've been to all the others, then yeah, I'm like, well, I'll scratch this one off too. But, but you're saying you're going to put it last there's got to be more reason for me to go to Cincinnati rather than just to check off a ballpark. I see. One thing that drew a lot of criticism about the new ballpark, which opened in 2003, so maybe it's technically not new anymore. Braves wouldn't think of that as new. No. Um, <laughs> that because of cost overruns with the Bengals' new stadium, they had to kind of hurry up and finish the outside cheaply. So the outside looks like Riverfront Stadium. There's a lot of concrete right. and... And, and and beam supports and things like this. And then on the inside, you get like this retro feel. So it's like a ballpark that doesn't exactly know what it is. Um, but you're right. They For 2019, uh, they provided shade seats, turning some upper deck seats into common bars or common areas with bars. What else would you, ch- what would you change about the ballpark? The dimensions are incredibly hitter friendly. And that's been infamous since it opened. Yeah, I I think I might put up a wall. I was thinking the same thing. That was my first thought. uh, And make it more like old Forbes Field than uh, than Fenway. I mean, but something of that nature. Yeah, I mean, the fence heights are, it's 12 feet high in left, 8 feet in center, and 8 feet in right. So if you look at what the Braves have done with those below the chop seats, right? Mm-hmm, right. So imagine you push the fences back and 
take those seats off and put them underneath. Yeah, you could. Well, you could make the wall plexiglass, for that matter. I mean, you know, there. Uh, Homage so, to the twins yeah, you know, <laughs> at the Yankee Dome. Right. I mean, there are there are a lot of different things you can do, but I think it would be nice to see something somewhat unusual on the field. Uh, Cincinnati. I mean, shoot, Crosley Field had uh, a you know a. a, a a wall of source, but they also had the rise in the outfield, you know, uh, right, going right. back to the fence, but that didn't work very well in Houston. <laughs> no, it did not. Although Houston got rid of it and made this batter's eye wall that has a bar on top of yeah. it. So maybe you could do that. Uh, and you know, the Astros, well, the- but, but also if you don't want to do that because the view of the river is part of the, you know, yes. the attraction of the whole ballpark and you don't want to cut that off. No, in the steamboat area, and they do yeah. have they have that weird slice out of the uh, uh, the the third base side, so you can see the skyline. Right, right. Uh, home of Skyline Chili in Cincinnati, by the yeah. way. Um, and 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 also that I know that there's a uh, there's like a, a hundred yard bar on the third base side that looks out that's open concourse. The food is incredible. There are a, a plentiful of options of good, unique food in the ballpark you know you again SunTrust we're going to contrast that a lot I guess the options inside SunTrust are kind of poor to say the least and they don't want you eating there anyway it would seem so but kudos to the Reds executive chef because apparently they have like the um what's the thing called it's like it's not a it's not a cheesesteak but it's like the roasted meat sandwich or something, a Cincinnati tradition, I don't know. But yeah, definitely move the walls back, make them higher, and make it you know a little bit more enticing for pitchers to come and pitch there. Now, the Astros and the Phillies have proven that you can win in a hitter's ballpark. Do you think that the Reds can win in the Great American Ballpark as presently constructed? Yes. I mean, I mean, And I think playing in the division that they're playing in, uh, their ballpark doesn't hurt them. I mean, the Brewers is a bandbox. You know, the uh, uh, the Cubs. I mean, Wrigley Field is Wrigley Field. Uh, the uh, Cardinals. It's not hard to hit a home run there. Pittsburgh is uh, Pittsburgh. Maybe the biggest one in the uh, the whole. Yeah, and division. they went with the tall fence. Yeah, the but, Clemente fence. Uh, but yes, they can win. They get the right players there. Well, yeah, I mean, you just the ballpark factor is so high towards the hitting, you know, and does very little for pitching. Um, you know, the Reds have never had pitching. <laughs> yeah, but they they used to play in pretty cavernous <laughs> spaces, Riverfront and Riverfront was just like Atlanta Stadium. It was almost the exact same dimensions and everything. The ball didn't carry as well, but it wasn't cavernous. Right. I mean, there were a lot of the Reds led the league in home runs from there. Uh, the uh, had the right players to do it. Yeah, and Crosley Field was as small as any field in baseball. All right, I don't know these things. I will say that you know part of what the ownership group before Castellini took over, they were saying how they had to deal with the waterfront, and that's why the dimensions are so small. But PNC Park seems to do just fine with the water with the waterfront. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to push it back into the river. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, having more shade seats, this is an interesting uh, part of climate change, not to be, you know, political suddenly. So I'm just going to leave it at this. You know, summers are going longer and they're staying hotter. And, you know, any riverfront town like a Cincinnati, a St. Louis has really hot summers. So the more shade 
you have, the better. So All right. Cincinnati can get blistering. Yeah, well, the Braves right now, yeah. I, I'm shocked at how few, what am I looking for, how little shade there is at, at the bank. So, Which is going to be called something else next year, I've heard, right? True, uh, truest or something? I don't know. Yeah, whatever. So, yeah, solid nightlife around the stadium, um, you know, and it's cost-effective. It's a good destination for visiting fans. It becomes a great destination for visiting fans when the Cubs are in town. Or the Cardinals. That's not good. They need to. They need to have the Reds fans in the building because, yeah, 150 years they've they need they've to stayed supported. <laughs> um, you know, talking about the current state of affairs, attendance is up this year, and their ratings are up. Their attendance is up from 20,116 a game last year to 20,513 a game this year. That's up, but that's not like breaking down the gate, right? True. You you can walk up and get pretty good seats day of. Last year, Miami, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Oakland, and the White Sox drew less than uh, the Reds. This year, they're 20th. So they a couple more teams are underneath them. So uh, they're, I think, Detroit. I don't know who else. But, uh, progress is progress. Right. Uh, yes, it is. It's slow. but uh, And that's because... They probably had a bunch of people want come out and want to see Puig the first week or so. Right, and and we didn't talk about that with that transaction. Puig is good box office for yeah. them. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And Alex Wood would have been too. That would have been a solid middle-of-the-line starter for them, but he's uh, he's going to be elsewhere next year. You, right, right. This is all, as as we've discussed, this yeah. is all for this year. Uh, their ratings, though, their their television ratings are up. 37%, and they're actually number four in the country in regional household ratings. Now, again, there's more people staying at home watching baseball probably in Cincinnati than, say, you know, Atlanta I don't know. or... <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of percentage they're getting from that, uh, too. I mean, just because they're the Yankees can turn their viewership into a lot more money than other teams might, you know. And so I don't know how much, I don't know anything about their radio TV contract. Yeah, I didn't look at much uh, in regards to that either, only that they do have a favorable uh, regional TV deal. And, you know, the fact that the ratings are up with a team that, you know, is is an assemblage of parts not there a year ago, Tells you about how quickly the fans will jump on board. I think, yeah, it's a good baseball town. I mean, when they have won, they have the fans have come out and supported their team. Did you ever go to Riverfront Stadium? Yes. Yeah, I saw the big red machine in Riverfront. Yes. What was that like? Uh, it was. I, I hated them. I. I mean, uh, I was at an age where it was more personal then, and. Uh, they just drummed the Braves. I mean, just I mean, this was back when the Braves were really awful, and the Reds were. I I do remember going to a uh, a doubleheader here in Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, and seeing the Big Red Machine beat the Braves nineteen to one in total in those two games, and it was Oof. raining and uh, rain delays and everything else. I mean, and they just they just drummed the Braves in those days. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's, uh, but I mean there was no more exciting team to watch. Well, and do you think uh, the, the the fact that they seem to embrace Pete Rose more and more 
Is that a, a, a net positive? No, I don't think so. I mean, Pete Rose is is red. He's like, he's Mr. Red, you know? Right. Now, whether, uh, do you approve of everything he did? No, but there's a statue of Ty Cobb out in front of Detroit, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, Well, it's yeah. just interesting, like, you know, thinking about how how long how much do franchises want to be associated with their uh troubled stars you know giants aren't having any problem embracing bonds and that's what i was thinking of and it seemed like they were keeping their distance for a while but now it's whatever so yeah but no i mean yeah good good for them seeing as i'll never make it into the real hall of fame celebrate them in the reds hall of fame sure so that's a good thing um all right you can bet on it <laughs> that is this you know we are losing marty brenneman this is his oh I know, that's season. true that's true yeah. that that may be one of the worst things that's happening to the reds yeah sad he's really i think the last of the old guard right yeah yeah so but and that's the thing you you know the the history of this team is so rich and there's so many you know iconic mlb characters along the way so it's really like this is a team that should be good in the same way that I feel like the Yankees need to be good and the Cardinals, well, no, <laughs> but yeah. the, that the Cubs need to be good and the Dodgers need to be good. So favorite quote from Marge shot that you can say on air. <laughs> no, I, I do remember uh, the biggest thing was the complaint from ball players that were having to play the outfield because her dog Shotzi would go to the bathroom all over the outfield uh, <laughs> and between games. And yeah. uh, Who was it? Lenny Dykstra said it was like sliding into a dog pen. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. But man, that ni- 1990 team, that was something. Chris Sabo and who was the guy who, who, who hit for the moon? Billy Hatcher. In that in that oh, okay. in that World Series, so that's a that's a great fun team, great documentary on MLB Network about them too. All right, well this is great. I very much enjoyed this. I hope you did as well. Oh sure, yeah. So we'll figure out what our next franchise is to to give the state of the franchise. And Reds fans, we're rooting for you. We want you to have an illustrious team on the riverfront there once again. So. All right, a thank you as always for everyone who is checking out the podcast on Apple iTunes or on SoundCloud. Uh, you can find all things Running the Bases at the website, runningthebases.com. Uh, leave your comments and feedback anywhere you like. Our Facebook page, our Twitter page, our Instagram page. So um, a thank you as always to Mr. David Wayne who gives us our intro and outro music. His album, The Truth Is, I Don't Know. Uh, is available on Amazon and on iTunes. So, for Coach Jordan Bounds, I am Tucker Wells. This is the Running the Basis podcast coming into home safe as always. Coach, have yourself a good night. Good night. Good night.